Hello and welcome to Rash Decision Podcast, where we look at skin-related issues, conditions and treatments in an interesting and informed way. I'm Dr. Roger Henderson. I'm a GP with a long-standing interest in this area of health. And I'm Dr. George Moncrief. I was also a GP, though I'm now retired from my practice. I was also the past chair of the Dermatology Council for England. Now, today, George and I will be talking about the mode of action of emollients and discussing these in more detail. And this is the second of three podcasts where George and I are talking about all things emollient related. And if you were with us for the first one, then we do hope that you found it helpful as we talked about the basics of emollient use. This week's podcast, George, let's just look at their mode of action to kick off. And I'm thinking about their occlusive properties and water transference ability. But I'd go back one step even from that. The terms moisturizers and emollients in our practice, we interchange them all the time. But there is a subtle difference between the two terms, isn't there? Well, yes, we, we do use the words really interchangeably, and moist, but a moisturiser, strictly speaking, is something that makes the skin more moist. It holds water in the skin and, and supports the skin barrier in that major function. An emollient comes from the Latin moliere, meaning to soften, and I'll come on to that. So the moisturiser is basically something that includes an occlusive agent that goes on settles on the surface of the skin forming a hydrophobic layer preventing water from evaporating from the skin so that can be anything from fatty acids fatty alcohols vegetable waxes wax esters and so on but these are all quite sticky and tacky and not cosmetically very acceptable. So that's where the emollient comes in. The emollient renders that fat less sticky, less tacky, but it also enables it to slip between the skin cell layers. So it seals between the desquamating corneocytes. So it fills those spaces. And it contains things called astringents, cyclomethadone or dimethicone, are well-known agents that you'll see in your list of ingredients of an emollient. So that's the actual emollient. But when we say emollient, we, we, we generally mean moisturizer. And I have to say, I talk to patients about emollients more than I talk to them about moisturizers. And yeah, then finally, the, the moisturizer can act as a vehicle for bringing other things onto the skin. So, for example, humectants, which are mimicking the body's natural moisturizing factors. So last, the last podcast, we talked about when filaggrin breaks down, it breaks down into lots of very small molecules, amino acids and lactic acid and so on. Well, these humectants similarly are very small molecules sometimes they're the same as the body makes like sodium perodylene carboxylic acid um, but more often they're things like glycerol um, or urea which are acting as natural moisturizing factors they're small molecules that can penetrate the corneocytes and there they draw moisture into the cell pumping it full of water so it's, uh, it's held up tight against the other cells but you can also use it as a vehicle for bringing other things onto the skin, which will come onto like antiseptics or anti-itch products or things that have anti-inflammatory functions like nicotinamide. So that, that's really what we're using a moisturizer for. 
So we've got the two modes of action there. So we've got, in a nutshell, there's some occlusion going on. There's actively moving water from the dermis to the epidermis, but they can also have exfoliative or anti-inflammatory properties, can't they? Yes, and so this is how it's acting as a vehicle. So we can, many emollients, particularly the more sophisticated ones, contain higher concentrations of these humectants, which amongst other things, extend the activity, the time that the emollient is active. If you haven't got these, just putting a lipid layer on the skin, maybe with an astringent like dimethyl, will only give protection against water loss for a couple of hours. And you can measure that. We use what's called the TUL time, the trans-epidermal water loss. It's a very good way of measuring how much an emollient's doing. You put the emollient on and you see how long after it's been applied it takes before water starts evaporating from the surface. Very easy thing to measure. But if you add humectants to it, you can extend that dramatically and they will continue to have a function, sometimes up to 24 hours, which is remarkably useful. Others contain what really is essentially hairspray called povidone, polyvinyl pyrodolone. And that just forms a membrane on the surface of the skin, which just, you can't see it, it's invisible. It's like hairspray, but it just prevents water escaping. So for example, double base day leave has that and oilatum has some povidone in it. But others have colloidal so, oats, which render them much more sophisticated. And these are much more soothing and extend their tool well up towards 24 hours. But as you say, yeah, some have salicylic acid in them to help to break the skin down if you need, got a particularly hyperkeratotic condition. Salicylic acid helps to break those cornea desmosomes we talked about last time. Others contain loromacrogols, which are locally anesthetic agents. So, for example, Balneum Plus and E45 Itch Relief both contain loromacrogols. In fact, those two emollients are identical. They're just packaged differently. Some contain probiotics, and none that we can prescribe on the NHS, sadly, at the moment. And those probiotics may help to maintain the normal microbiome on the skin. And others contain ceramides. So t mimicking that lipid lamella bi-envelope that we talked about last time, I think that the role of ceramides and probiotics is going to be quite interesting to watch how they increase in their use in the next 10 years or so. And then I mentioned nicotinamide. I, I'm seeing that being put into emollients with increasing frequency nowadays. So for example, Adex Gel has it, and some of the La Roche-Posay products have nicotinamide. Nicotinamide augments that lipid lamella granular function I talked about last time that's producing the ceramides naturally. But it also has very useful antimitotic and anti-inflammatory roles. So these are the things that emollients can bring to the skin. So... Obviously, patients sometimes think that an emollient is an emollient, but when we're prescribing, we mustn't forget about splitting them into simple and, and sophisticated types and actually think about what we're putting on our patient's skin, which sounds an obvious thing to say, but it really is horses for courses. So I'm just going to sort of, I was making notes of that. So colloidal oat, you know, for, for example, it can be in their humectants, the natural moisturizing factors, you know, urea, glycerol, lactic acid, and so forth. The ceramides, uh, nicotinamide can be in there. The local anesthetic agents, the loromacrogols, probiotics, which, as you say, can't be prescribed at the moment, unfortunately. The sophisticated technology, the microvesicular emulsions, 
So generally, would I be right in saying that if you've got a sophisticated emollient, they can have a longer duration of action than simple ones, but inevitably they appear to be more expensive than the simple ones. And so we shouldn't be thinking about using them purely as soap substitutes because that can be a bit of a waste. You can use the simple ones for that. Yes, they, they appear to be expensive, but not if they're being used as leave-ons. Yes, if you're using the soap substitutes, you're going to waste them and they're going to go down the drain. So. The first thing to do with somebody with a dry skin problem is to limit or stop their use of harsh detergents, harsh soaps. If they must use one to use preferably a Sindet, a synthetic detergent, which is more pH friendly and, and less degreasing, but ideally to use a soap substitute, an emollient as a soap substitute. And we'll go on to, we, should, we could cover that now actually, couldn't we? How to use them. Hmm. So the one I like and the one I use happens to be the Apriderm Ordinary Cream. So that's what I'm currently using to wash with. And you can put it on your skin before you go in the shower, so you can cover your body with it if you like, or you can just use it when you want to wash your armpits or whatever. And it mixes beautifully with water very easily. So just squidge a bit out onto your hand, and then you can just mix it with water, and then you can wash with that. It, it washes very well. You can shave through it as well. But of course, most of that's going to go down onto the shower tray, making it very slippery, or the bath very slippery, and it will block the drains so you need to put need to tend to the drains every so often but it, it, by putting that on you are not using a detergent you're not degreasing the skin you are re-greasing the skin and you are also using something that's pH balanced so you're preserving that acid mantle we talked about last time when you get out of the shower it's important just to dab your skin dry you don't rub it vigorously because that will make it more itchy and leave a little bit of moisture on the skin to help to spread things. And then really you need to treat the whole skin. You don't just treat this area of eczema and that area of eczema. You must treat the whole skin. The whole skin is abnormal. The whole skin is less able to retain moisture. The whole skin has a higher pH and the whole skin has an abnormal microbiome in many skin conditions. So what you do is you put some blobs on the skin and you just stroke it down. Just stroke it down in the same direction as the hair and yes, initially it's quite tacky and sticky, but then say to your patients, you should be able to do a smiley face with the emollients on your skin. Just draw it with your finger. And within five minutes or so, that will have soaked in very nicely. And then you go down the whole body, you cover your whole body if you can with an emollient. So if you're using the Apriderm range of emollients, one full depression of the pump squeezes out almost exactly four grams of emollient which is of course equivalent to about eight fingertip units. So if you remember that each fingertip unit covers about the area of skin of two palms, you can see how one depression will cover quite a large area of skin. And of course, it, and it covers it easily. So you can cover the whole body very quickly with this emollient. But you should be aiming to get through in a little child with a leave-on emollient, around about 250 grams per week. And in a, in a grown up, you can double that to a whole one of these 500 gram tubs per week. So when I prescribe them to my patients, that's the, one of the first mistakes I think my colleagues make. They give them 500 grams and say, come back in three months. I'm saying you probably need something like two kilograms a month. So if I'm seeing you in three months time, you need six kilograms. And that's going to be 12 tubs 
of emollient. So we need to prescribe them in adequate quantities. And patients need to know that when they go to the pharmacy, they're going to have a very heavy basket to take back to their car. So that's the first thing to say. The, the sophisticated emollients, they, are, they appear, as you say, appear to be more expensive. But if you're putting an emollient on every two hours, not only is that inconvenient, but also it, it's, you're going to get through it very much faster. Whereas if you've got one that has a nice 24-hour tool, that's fabulous. Particularly if you've got carers coming in or somebody in a nursing home, they can put that on once a day and unless they wash it off, you know that they're going to have an emollient effect for the whole of the next 24 hours. And they'll get through it very much more slowly. And so you may be able to prescribe less of a sophisticated one. And at the end of the day, that's going to be less expensive. Yes, it's like so many medications we prescribe. It's not so much the pound cost at source, but it's the cost effectiveness over time. And, and I suppose that one of the arguments I sometimes have with prescribing advisors is that they can appear to be penny wise and pound foolish. Yeah. Um, and they don't tend to look at the, the longer picture. I think that's probably, you know, would have surprised a number of listeners are just about, you know, there are ways of, of putting an emollient on and they may be doing it wrong and certainly in my experience even just teaching someone how to put their emollient on correctly can just by doing that get their skin condition improved to the point where they don't need to be coming back to see you and they're very grateful for that but it's um, already, already soaked in beautifully i can hardly feel it now that all, quite a large quantity on and it's all just soaked in nicely so when you're prescribing them you do need to say look this is your soap substitute and this is the leave-on. And they may also need to have smaller tubes of the emollients that they can keep in the car or in their handbag or one at the office. And I also say people who've got dry skin conditions, we need to use, the, for example, the coronavirus. The spike protein is attached to the membrane of that virus. So the membrane of that virus is a lipid lamella bi-envelope. It's very similar to that lipid lamella bioenvelope that goes between our corneocytes. And soap is brilliant at rupturing that and destroying it. So soaps are brilliant at killing that virus and other viruses. That's partly how they're antiseptic. But at the same time, you're stripping out the lipid lamella bioenvelope between your corneocytes. So having washed with soap to kill them and counted happy birthday, however many times you need to do it, or sung happy birthday a few times, you then should wash with your emollient to re-grease the skin and to re-moisturize things, then dab your hands dry, and then put a bit more emollient on your skin after that. And that way you get the benefits, all the benefits from everything. It was interesting. It brings to mind something I hadn't thought of for a while. There was, there's been some very good statistical uh, data that's come out that have looked at the skin um, healthcare professionals, typically those working in secondary care and intensive care during the peak of the COVID pandemic, and a significant reporting of dry skin problems to the point of bleeding in, in, in healthcare professionals that previously hadn't had any obvious dry skin problems. And that was simply due to the impact of using fairly harsh soaps, washing their hands sometimes every five to 10 minutes throughout a long shift for weeks and months on end. And they went from having pretty normal, healthy, non-dry skin to skin that looked really quite significantly eczematous, you know, sort of three, four, five months into the pandemic. I
I had quite a few people, refer, doctors, particularly in nurses, who were taking no sensible measures to look after their skin and had, as you say, really ghastly contact, irritant dermatitis on their hands, which was very painful and very limiting for them. And just that simple measure, just, yep, wash with a detergent, fine, but then wash with an emollient, because that will really get into all the cracks and the places where the soap has got to, wash that detergent off really thoroughly, and then put an emollient on afterwards. Just those simple things. You don't need steroids. It doesn't. That sort of thing doesn't respond very well to topical steroids. It responds beautifully to using a, a, a soap substitute emollient. Yeah, I mean that's a fantastic message from the the wayside pulpit. There's a second wayside pulpit message I probably want to get across in this particular podcast, which is a bit of a bugbear for both of us and to anyone listening. Prick up your ears if you use aqueous cream on a patient because you know George and I would probably sort of want to take you out and shoot you avoid aqueous cream at all costs that's right isn't it George <laughs> aqueous cream has been around since the 1950s it was originally developed as a soap substitute never intended as a leave-on yeah. But to wait, make it water miscible, in other words, to make it possible to mix it with water, they added sodium lauryl sulfate. Now, sodium lauryl sulfate has been shown to be irritant to normal skin. It makes eczema worse. Work by Mike Cork and Professor Richard Guy, Professor Cork and Professor Guy, one from Sheffield and one from St. Thomas's, St. John's have shown that this is damaging to normal skin and is particularly damaging to eczema. In fact, aqueous cream can be made from emulsifying ointment. Emulsifying ointment has 3% sodium lauryl sulfate, which is pretty caustic. And aqueous cream has 1% sodium lauryl sulfate. It just has more water in it. And I have to say, if I saw a tub of aqueous cream in somebody's home, for example, I would approach it wearing barrier clothing. I'd put some garden gloves on, I'd get a pair of garden tongs or, or, or some tongs, and I'd very carefully pick the pot up and I'd very carefully deposit it in the dustbin. It should not go anywhere near the skin. And not even worse than that, this is cream in a tub. Uh, I think we'll yeah. come on to this in our next podcast. But if, you, if you've got a cream in the tub and you put your fingers in it, which, which patients will, it will be contaminated within a week. There's no excuse for putting a cream in a tub. You can have a pump dispenser. So if there's one thing never to use or two things never to use, one is emulsifying ointment and the other is aqueous cream, even I think as a soap substitute. It, somebody who prescribes it is demonstrating a lack of knowledge of how things affect the skin. It is damaging to normal skin and really irritant to eczema. Yeah, I would urge anyone who's uh, listening as an exercise, go back to your surgeries, do an audit trawl or, or trawl on your computer system for any patient who has been prescribed or is being prescribed aqueous cream or similar. And you may be surprised at how many patients are slipping through that particular net and being prescribed it on a routine basis. So identify them, take them off that and make sure that vanishes from their 
prescribing list and then prescribe something appropriate in its place and inform the patient um, that you're just giving them something which is probably going to be better for their skin and actually be very, they'll be very grateful uh, about this. One of the other things that perhaps as healthcare professionals, George, we may occasionally forget at our peril to discuss with our patients because education is all with emollients. The more patient will know, the more likely they are to comply with their emollient use is the fire risk. Now this is small, but this is definite. And there have been dozens of unfortunate reported fatalities from fire and burns due to people who are using emollients near naked flames. It is worth always mentioning that to our patients, even though it is uh, an uncommon risk, it is a definite risk and it is a potentially fatal risk, isn't it? It is. It, we have a medical legal responsibility to alert our patients yeah. to this. Almost all emollients contain paraffin or petrolatum as their surface agent to prevent water escape from the surface. One of the only emollients not to contain paraffin, interestingly, is Apriderm colloidal oat cream. That has no paraffin in it. But all emollients, and even with that, I would say caution with naked flames, more so with the ointments, which have a very low water content, the creams have a higher water content, and so their risk is inherently slightly less. But the MHRA have reports of over 50 fatalities of patients who mm -hmm. put an emollient on their skin, gone near to a naked flame or lit up their cigarette or whatever, and they caught fire. And can you imagine anything worse than that? In fact, I had a girl who had terrible eczema and she took my advice very seriously and she was at a barbecue and she came in to go to the loo, washed her hands and did exactly what I described. She washed her hands, washed with an emollient, dried them and put an emollient on her hands. And she still had quite a bit of emollient on her hands when she went back to the barbecue and her hands caught fire. Now, fortunately, there's plenty of drinks around the place and people were able to, to put it out very fast, but it was a very frightening and painful experience for her. So, that, yep, they are flammable. And, and we're grateful to the BBC, one of their Health Watch programmes a few years ago. They, it was quite shocking what they showed. They, they showed pyjamas worn by patients. They first of all had a clean pair of controlled pyjamas and, yep, they could burn, but not very well. They then had pyjamas worn by a child who'd been, had emollient put on their skin when they went to bed. And boy, did they light really dramatically. They were really flammable. But the one that caught my eye was the, the pyjamas that had been through the washing machine. The child had an emollient put on, they'd worn the pyjamas, the pyjamas were put through the washing machine, and then they tried to light them. And boy, those really caught fire as well. So almost as bad as the ones that hadn't been washed. So, yeah, it's an important message, and I think it's one that we do need to stress. Yeah, I think that's a very good point to finish on. So I'll bring this particular episode to a close, and George and I do hope that you found it interesting and helpful, as ever, for your clinical practice. We're now going to be taking a short break over the Christmas period, but George and I would really like to thank you for listening to us throughout 2023. And we do look forward to you joining us in 2024 when we're going to be doing even more with our Rash Decisions podcasts. We're going to be joined by special guests, bringing even more tips and advice to you on dermatological conditions. And we've heard you want more of us, so we're going to be bringing the podcast to you even more regularly, releasing an episode every other week. So do make a note to join us every other Tuesday morning next year 
We're going to be back with you on January the 9th with our next episode, Emollients Everywhere, which one to choose? So we look forward to seeing you there. But of course, in the meantime, from George and from myself, have a very happy Christmas. So, as always, until the next time, it's goodbye from George. Goodbye. And as always, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>